You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. Hello, I am your host today, Tom Hobbled. Um, Susan is out sick this morning, so let's uh, keep her in our prayers. That it's uh, just a cold and nothing else is going on. Um, and we'll stay in touch with her and hopefully she'll be back here next week causing me grief and having a good time. Um, today, um, we have a guest from Tempe Fire Department. Um, I guess it's Chief, right? Yes, it is. So (laughs) Chief Mark Maynard, um, you've been with Tempe for four and a half years. I have been with Tempe for roughly four and a half years and uh, uh, really enjoyed my four and a half years here. But I did spend 23 years prior to Tempe in the city of Glendale. (laughs) That's where I grew up. Yeah, so you've now been on the department longer than I worked. I, I did 27 and was done. So you, you, you're above my record. So well, I don't know if I want to set a record because I'm done at 30 years. So I got about two and a half and I'm done. Well, there's a lot of fire guys that seem to retire and then they go back to work for a different department. And then, I don't know, there's some guys out there that just don't ever want to quit. I'm hoping I don't have to do that. <laughs> I'm planning on not doing that. So. Yeah. I, I thought that I, when I retired, that I would be retired, retired. And going on vacations and, you know, yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> Susan had other plans for me, so which is good. I enjoy this, so not a problem. So you started then in 1995. Summer of 95, yes. Hot summer, summer academy. And yeah, yeah. it was, uh, I was 30 years old when I went through. So not old, but kind of in the middle of age for old for older for starting fire guy yeah. though, right? Yeah, I was thirty also when I started in ninety four, and I and it was September that I went to the academy. So remember, like it was yesterday. Oh, I know. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so when we talked a little bit about this um, before the podcast, and times have really changed with when you went there for that testing process and how many people were there versus today, what we're getting showing up for testing. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when I went through and in the early nineties testing, you know, it was was thousands of people would show up and, and fill auditoriums to take tests and, (laughs) and now we're getting hundreds. And so I don't know what's causing the the change, but, uh, I mean, used to fight and scratch and claw to try to get one of these jobs and now they're not easy to get, but, there's just fewer applicants. Right. So the, the competition isn't quite as stringent as it's, it used to be. It's just different. Yeah. There's, there's still, you know, we have a lot of good candidates that are uh, start off as uh, cadets for us and things right. like that. And, uh, and they're super hungry and we work with them, but this, we just don't get the numbers like we used to. So right. it's interesting. Yeah. I remember um, doing our motor train out at, at the training fire training center. And I, there's always cadets doing something out there. So yeah. it was it was nice to see because before long, it seemed like, okay, I remember you as a cadet and now I'm on scene with somebody. Yeah, so. that's familiar faces right. and, and relationships and all those kinds of things, which yeah. is awesome. So. Yeah. Well, you know, 
I don't know how Glendale was, um, but I know Tempe Police and Tempe Fire. We have a we had a good working relationship. We we got along very well. We were always there to support each other. It's the same. Yeah. You know, when I was in Glendale, it's, we're all brothers and sisters. Right. And we take care of them, and we yeah. they take care of us. And we've had you know situations where they get injured, car right. accidents, and things like that. And and it feels like one of us. Right. So it's it's the same same. Both Tempe and Glendale yeah. are exactly the same. So it's, it's a pretty <laughs> nice relationship. Yeah, it, you can't beat that. Um, so after 27 years, what do you think is some of the biggest changes that you've seen in the fire department life? Biggest changes? Um, I think certainly some of the changes are the amount of time we spend on wellness and then in, in trying to be mentally well as well as uh, focusing on the cancers and, mm -hmm. and what's causing those and what we can do to help prevent those kinds of things from happening the best we can. So on the mental wellness part of it, when you were young in the fire crews, uh, did you hear, well, just suck it up? <laughs> exactly. That's what I was going to say. Suck it up, buttercup. That's yeah. right. It was things like that. Or I think we did ourselves a disservice because when they first started doing wellness or, hey, we went on a bad call, they'd gather everybody in a room, 20 or 30 of us, and say, would say, okay, what did you see and what did you do? Mm -hmm. And then they go to the next person. And what that's did you the... see and what did you do? And, and, and we didn't want to talk about it. Right. We didn't want to relive it. We didn't want to show weakness in front of our peers and all those kinds right. of things. And so that didn't work. Actually, it was a detriment to that early process of trying to process a, a drowning or something horrible, right. you know. Well, the, you guys as a as a fire crew, when you get back to the house, the nice thing is you travel to the emergency and you travel from the emergency together. Uh, and then when you guys get back to the firehouse, at least back in the day, um, you guys spend, are able to spend a lot of time together and talk about the things that you've seen on those calls or um, that you experienced where like police they don't get that opportunity they're not they're they're by themselves or they might have a partner um, but they go to the next call by themselves sure no it's, it is different um i think the cab of the fire truck is probably the a safe place and firefighters from my experience are willing to be open in that place and so coming back from a call after we've maybe gone to the hospital or something like that We'll talk about it. We did when I was a captain on a fire truck, um, you know, all the way back. And mm -hmm. sometimes we'd park the truck and stay in the truck and continue to talk about this or that. Or, hey, we did a great job. Right. You know, and, and <clears throat> things that we do, we don't cause the problem. But when we show up, we have an opportunity to make a difference. Right. And so I always focus on, hey, man, we did a great best job we could do. The cards weren't in it for that person today. Um, there's nothing we could have done better. And then really try to take a good look at the crew makeup because if this was a call with a pediatric patient, uh, who has kids? Right. And you know we've all most of us have had kids. <laughs> Mine are older now, but um, because they would then reflect on if that was my child, how would right. I feel? And then, right. And it's tough. It's yeah, super it, tough. it affects you. And I guess a lot of people don't realize, you know, the 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 average citizen. Um, they don't deal with that trauma that we see up close and personal. And even you, fire, you know, you guys are hands-on with it. As a as an officer, I'm not always hands-on with it. I'm 
I'm seeing everything that's going on and, and all the carnage and everything, but I'm not always hands-on where most of the time you guys are dealing directly with those patients. And, and I think that definitely affects your psyche a little bit. Oh, it more. does. And um, for someone to hand you their limp child and say, help, um, you can't describe it. You can't reenact it. You can't right. practice that. And they trust you with uh, everything they own and including their children and family. So right. it's, a, it's a big responsibility. And again, we are trained to do what we can do to make a difference. And sometimes we can't. Um, sometimes we can. So we really uh, celebrate the victories and we do our best when we do have a loss to make sure that we take care of our people, take care of that family that we just, mm -hmm. the home that we were just in. And, you know, do the best we can to be good people. Well, and like Susan says, um, you know, the fire and police were problem solvers. That's that's what that's our job. We we go to these calls and we're gonna deal with whatever's we encounter there. Um, and our job is to fix the problem. On the other hand, the problem that we have is when we can't fix the problem, how that affects us. You know, we're, we're always told. You're going to do this and, you know, this is the good outcome here. But they don't talk a lot about, well, what happens when we can't solve the problem, you know, yeah. and, and what does that do mentally to us, you know. So it's, it, it, that's really good that you guys at least have that opportunity in that fire truck, the, the cab, you know, to, to discuss some of that stuff. I mean, that's, that's got to be very impactful. It's super impactful. And then, you know, we do spend so much time together. I or we could then see if someone's a little bit off that, hey, that call we went on yesterday or right. whenever it was, maybe that's still bothering them or maybe we need to get them some professional help or maybe we need to talk about it again. And we try to be careful not to relive those events too many times yep. um, because sometimes, you know, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, all right, I, I get it. You don't want to talk about it anymore, and that's okay. Right. Uh, but here are some resources if you think you want to. Right. Because that would be good for you if, if you think you need to. So. Now, what, uh, what, what does Tempe do for those type of resources right now for Tempe Fire? Well, we, uh, we tr one, we try to identify when there's an event. <clears throat> so we have a uh, data analyst who's worked with our electronic charting system that can pull those calls out and then deliver them to me and a labor representative to say, okay, this crew just went on this event. Um, once that happens, we read, I get that every morning, a report that shows the calls that were, uh, we call them high stress incidents. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of triage those calls and go, okay, this one looks like we need to do a little follow-up. So I'll reach out to those members that went on the call, labor representative will do the same thing. And then, Depending on what the answers are, we may say, hey, you know, here's some resources, and they have them at their fingertips right. because we do a lot of messaging to go see some professional help. And and if they need to do more, then we'll do more. So, um, But we usually reach out immediately or soon, and then right. we, maybe one time or two more times with a text or a call, and then we let it settle because, again, uh, we don't want to have to relive this event over and over and over. Right. Which and, and at some point, you got to let your crew that's working together decide if there's somebody that needs additional help or not. And, and it's and amazing. they can watch each other. So that's they what's do. Nice. And, and, um, and then they'll sometimes circle back with me and say, Hey, I've got a guy that needs a little bit more. Right. And then I'll quietly circle back with that member yeah. and 
to keep it on the down low and hey it builds the trust with them which exactly. i've been doing for years and and support them with whatever they need and you know sometimes they have maybe other problems going on right. maybe just not not at the fire could be family call. right could be money could be family yeah. could be whatever and we'll get them whatever those resources are as well mm -hmm. to to help them support them with their whatever their ailment happens to be yeah i i think tempe does a pretty good job of trying to take care of the employees there they really do they're super supportive it's a you know outstanding city to work for yeah. super proud and happy to work there um so what we had talked earlier um, about one of the big changes that um, fire went through is like when you were young in the fire crews you had one set of turnouts that you used um, so like how how long would you have a set of turnouts was it like assigned to you and how often was that cleaned? Well, or? they they actually have an expiration date. I think it's ten years or something. Right. So there's a number, maybe five. I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, when I got hired, ninety five. Here's one set of turnouts. You trained in them. You drilled in them. You went on calls with them. And at that time in the nineties, um, dirty turnouts were a badge of courage. If you had <laughs> sparkling clean turnouts, then you weren't tough. Yeah, you weren't doing much, no. right? And, um, we used to wear them on EMS calls, on car wrecks and things like that. Right. Before we had, a, we have a pair of brush pants now, but we wore turnout pants on calls and people wore them in the stations and they were just kind of what people wore. And again, the dirtier, the tougher you were. And, <laughs> and you know, I look back on that and I shake my head because, you know, that those smoke and fire gases all are absorbed in those turnouts. Right. And as you sweat, it you then absorb those things. Yeah. And so... It didn't make any sense. I look back on that and just say, why do we do that? <laughs> but nobody was really thinking about that at Not the at time. All. Not at all. And so um, some some fire companies like ladder trucks, since they have two pieces of apparatus, they have two sets of gear because they can jump on this one or jump on that one. Um, and But the engine companies are single. Right. Unit, had one set until probably maybe the mid-2000s. So for my first 10 years of my career, yeah. we just had one set. And we didn't really talk about, all right, when these are dirty, you just run on fire and they're now they're, they're soaked with water and soot and everything else. Have those laundered and then get in your clean ones. We had that opportunity, but still we didn't really jump on it. It wasn't like part of the culture. And this, this is a culture shift to, right. to, to get people to change to only want to wear clean stuff and, and, and develop healthy habits. So they're always, always wearing clean gear, as clean as it can be and protecting themselves so so obviously the the cancer in rate and fire has has been high um and de directly attributed to the job um how long ago do you think that that big shift where they started realizing finally that this the cancers that we're seeing there's a direct correlation with these turnouts do you think there was a time where they they said well, yeah. over the past, I don't know, five or seven years, there's been, we've been fortunate to have legislature changes, um, statewide changes to identify uh, cancers that are job related. And I, think, I believe there's 12 or 13 of them that they've said, okay, these 12 or 13, you probably got them on the job. Before that, you had to keep track of all your fires and exposure reports and things like that. <laughs> and cities would say, okay, 
which fire caused this cancer? Can you point to the one that caused the cancer? And you had to fight that battle for an occupational wow. injury, yeah. which makes no sense at all. Right. So I'm, I'm thankful for our state and um, all the lawmakers that have changed that to, to have this presumptive cancer list that certainly helped, helped a lot of us. To back up in time, though, um, early in my early 10, first 10 years of my career, we never even talked about cancer. No right. one ever got it, and no one ever got sick. And even though we were wearing dirty gear most of the time and not really following healthy habits as far as cleaning things, and um, but in the last 10 years or so, it's just gone crazy. We have we've lost so many firefighters in, in the state yeah. of Arizona. Friends of mine lost a few friends in the last couple of years, and um, they're, they're finding kidney cancers and liver cancers and brain tumors, on and on and on. I'm, and so something has changed. Right. Do you have any idea what you think that change is? Do you think it's just the change of materials in all the buildings I th over I the think years? Well, I think it's not just the structures, but it's all the stuff that's in them, all the plastics mm -hmm. and polymers and all those kinds of things that they build things out of. So turnout gear, firefighter uh, protective gear, um, it keeps the it protects the firefighter from the heat, but it doesn't protect him from things that it can absorb through. And so, um, when a plastic, it's carpet, it's chairs, it's whatever, they're full of all kinds of stuff, and uh, toxic fumes come from mm -hmm. those. As well as they have, there's a chemical PFOS, PFOS, which is poly something, long <laughs> and it's uh, a chemical that. Um, things are made, it's in everything pretty much we make. Right. As well as it used to be in firefighter fight uh, foam. So we use foam on uh, uh, alcohol fires or gasoline or things like that. We have to put a layer of foam on right. there. And some of those foams in the past had this chemical in them. So in it. So we're, we're using a tool that had a carcinogen in right. it. Right. And this stuff they're finding it everywhere in the groundwater now. And fish have it and because it doesn't go away. And so this PFOS has been a big challenge, and how do we protect ourselves from that? So the turnouts that we currently have uh, are do get permeated by smoke and fire gases. They do. Uh, if we have if you uh, work on a fire, working fire, and you're inside and you're in, in that toxic environment, when I've done that, I could smell off gassing coming out of my skin for two to three days after. Wow. You can smell it in your hair and everywhere else. You can't wash it off because it's coming kind of out of your skin. <laughs> and so they are developing new turnout gear that that stops that permeation. However, the side effect is we the heat that your body produces can't get out. Right. And so they're extremely hot. So that it makes no sense or little sense to have those in Arizona in the summer time to right. try to go inside a burning building. So well, let alone the challenges. how hot it is going inside mm -hmm. a burning building. I mean, that's just, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, so it's this weird balance of what what's the right gear and, and you're still gonna get stuff absorbed in different places as well. Right, because you know? you're not 100% covered. No, and... no. So it's, I don't know, it's just a, the industry's changed and I believe it's from the building materials and, right. the, and the things that are manufacturing processes and things like that. But uh, we can't do anything about that. So we end up playing defense, which is trying to identify, one, stay clean, and uh, two, you know, buy the best equipment that we can buy to protect our folks. Right. So how do you, are you, are you familiar with how 
the the turnout gear is cleaned? I mean, is it a special process or is it? Well, we we take ours to a uh, uh, a business that that's what they do, and, and they strip the gear. There's an inner liner and the outer shell, and they strip them apart and they and they clean um, with whatever special mm-hmm. soap that does the best it can to clean those turnouts. Um, but uh, then obviously we have the second set wall that sets being being laundered. So. And then they have exp- expiration dates, so after five or ten years, when it's time to get rid of them, and they get replaced, and so kind of like the police has an expiration date on their uh, ballistic vest. Every five years, you're getting a new one. Yep, same thing, and it's expensive. Um, uh, firefighter protective gear is fifteen hundred bucks a set. Yeah, so it's you're talking about two hundred firefighters. You do the math; it's a lot. Of, <laughs> it's, a lot it's a lot of money. Yeah, so. it is. Yeah, but it, I mean. Saving your guys' life, you know, I mean, you couldn't do your job without yeah. that turnout gear. I mean, it would yeah. be Im- almost impossible. Yeah, it, it is. So so I know <clears throat> um, back in 2000, Tempe lost a fireman, uh, Tommy. I don't remember what his last name is now. Tommy Ariaga. Ariaga. Yeah. Um, and you were with Tempe then. I was, yes. It was <clears throat> super, super sad situation. Um, Tommy... <coughs> Tommy's uh, in his mid-30s, ended up with colon cancer, and we lost him. And um, it affected our agency. Uh, just such a, such a sad loss for a young, young, great kid. And, right. And, you know, we've been fortunate since then. Uh, at the, when that happened, one of our younger chiefs, uh, Kyle Carmen, went out on a mission and got us some grant funding for some cancer screening. And uh, it's fairly expensive, so he had a getting about 350000 in funding from the from the government through an AFG grant, which is Assistance to Firefighter Grant process. Um, but it requires a city match of 10%. And so we went to the city and said, hey, we want to go after these funds, but it requires a 10% match. And they said, go get them. We want to match that. We want, it. we want to yeah. do this. So we were fortunate in... Uh, 2021 to get those fund in, fund get those funds and start cancer screening. So we we screened all of our members ages 40 and above, and we found things. We found um, a nearly fatal kidney uh, renal ki- kidney cancer uh, tumor that would have been we would have lost another guy in six wow. months if we didn't find it. Symptom free. We found spots on livers and uh, spots on lungs and enlarged aortas and all kinds of different things too uh, through the processes that we did. So we did whole body MRIs, we did chest CTs, we did dermatology, we did uh, prostate screening, and for the females they had a, a breast Q, QT mammograms or something mm-hmm. like that. And we found we found several things, which is scary. Yeah. Um, thankfully, a lot of other agencies in the Valley have followed suit. And they're finding brain tumors and they're finding kidney tumors and on and wow. on and on. And, and it's just frightening where um, most most of the friends of mine, that they found things, they were symptom-free. <laughs> so I had a really good friend in the West Valley. He's uh, He had a brain tumor, like the size of an avocado, symptom-free, until he found it through this process of, of whole body MRIs and things like that. So... You know, we're super thankful that we got that grant funding. Right. And then this year, this fiscal year, our city was kind enough to, to grant us the same amount of money within the city's budget. So we started last week with blood screening. With There's a new blood 
tests called the gallery blood tests that test for 50 kinds of cancers. So we're putting all of our members through that to uh, try to early identification, right. you know, so even the youngsters, so we're doing everybody. And then we'll start in a couple of weeks with some of the other processes for the younger guys. So it's uh, so for like the younger guys that um, weren't here last year for that testing, that you'll have them go through all that same testing. Yeah, we'll do the blood testing every year, and then we'll do forties and above with all the high tech testing. We did that two years ago. This year we'll do forties to thirty fives, and then next year we'll just keep leapfrogging for the older group and younger group. So basically every two years you'll yeah. get that full complete. Um, yeah, it's not recommended every year. They said every yeah. two to three years for most of the mm. uh, specialized testing, but we'll do the blood work every year. Yeah. So it's uh, so thankful that the city, they know, they know what can happen. And, right. And, and then just internally, we've really made a change as far as trying to change the culture of staying clean. And so that we have messaging everywhere. You know, Tommy's um, motto was, it's cool to be clean. So we have, that, <laughs> we have helmet stickers and things yeah. like that and reminders everywhere. And, you know, we just try to do everything we can do to support that and change the culture of the younger person. So when I got hired, latex gloves were kind of new. And so if you tell a young new recruit or a young new police officer, hey, this is what you need to put on every time, you put them on every right. time. So... Um, we're trying to change the culture to, hey, the fire's out, change your gear, take a shower, get new clothes on. We have baby wipes, clean your eyes, nose, ears, off really good. Uh, decontaminate the apparatus, decontaminate your the frontline gear that you right. just wore, uh, fill out an exposure report, you know, don't use tobacco products, don't take this stuff home, put on some sunscreen, everything we can yeah. do to um, continue that, beat that drum of keep doing this. And then... So the young guys are like, where's my second set of turnouts? I don't have them yet. How do I get my second set of turnouts? <laughs> That's well, good. I mean, I, you want them almost to that point of paranoia that yep. I need this because I this is this is what's going to keep me safe. So no, it's interesting. I, I you know, as we find these uh, people are diagnosed with things, right. different things, and we lose just lost a friend in Glendale a couple of weeks ago, and um, I'm secretly thankful that my three boys aren't interested in being firefighter. <laughs> I told them that too. Yeah. Like, I used to want you to be a firefighter, but I'm kind of glad you're not now because I, I worry about you. Right. You know? Yeah. And the unknown, see you know, all the, you can't see it. Exactly. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm thankful that my three boys are not interested in being <laughs> police. <laughs> As I say that, I probably shouldn't say that, but that, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you guys are on a fire. Um, you have all that smoke and those carcinogens, you know, coming into you. Now you get in that fire truck and drive home. What about, are they having anything done to the fire cabs of the trucks? Uh, there are new clean cab concepts. They're expensive, but they're building um, like an outside door where you put your turnouts and your SCBA that's not in the cab mm -hmm. that keeps all that stuff away from you. We obviously encourage after fire to tag and bag all your gear up so it's not sitting in the cab and, and insulation still flying off of it and all right. those things. Not um, like the old days. But that's the old days, <laughs> yeah. But now there's new clean, they call them clean cab concepts, where there's actually kind of lockers inside of the cab where you can put your thing, your items, protective gear, and SCBA inside those cabinets to keep everything in there. And they have 
ventilation that goes outside and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that technology is coming. And as, you know, fire trucks are expensive, so we don't yeah. get to buy them very often. Right. Um, every 10 years or so. So as technology changes, so will uh, what we purchase. Yeah. But so, yeah, that's good. I, I Yeah, I was just, when, you, when we were talking about that, I was like thinking, well, now you have that all over you, but you're getting inside the truck, and how is that affecting you? Well, so that, and then obviously part of our decontamination is once we're back to the station, put on some gloves and a mask and go in and, and sweep out the truck and vacuum yeah. and clean all any insulation or, or soot or whatever is left right. over in there. And, and things changes like we used to have cloth seats. Well, now we don't have cloth seats because all they did was absorb things exactly. and you couldn't get them out. So now it's more not a leather, but more like a vinyl seat that mm -hmm. is easily cleaned and things like that. So yeah, less uh, less absorbent than the old cloth seats. Yeah, yeah. didn't make any sense at all. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, uh, that's uh, that's good. I'm glad to see that you know that some changes for being health conscious, you know, is coming through, and people are accepting it and realizing this. I can't let this job kill me. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. There's a different. I think it's a different vibe in the stations of right. of hey, you know, we used to just wear you know again soiled gear in the station and around in the bay and things like that. And now it's like hey, take that stuff off, get out yeah. of that gear, get yourself cleaned up. A lot of changes. I mean, you guys used to sleep together in in like bunk rooms, right? Yeah, that's changed as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, virtually every station now has individualized rooms. Right. You know, we have female firefighters and male firefighters, so that makes sense. Um, and that's just the way it is now. It's just changed because we did, my early days, we had two or three fire stations where 10 or 12 people would sleep in the same <laughs> bunk room. And Yeah, there's some good quality sleep going yeah, on there. Yeah, <laughs> one person snoring and t t 11 other people are awake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's, it was fun, though. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine, you know. Um, so a new guy coming in uh, or someone that wants to be uh, a fireman, what's your advice to him? Well, I think my advice would be take every advantage of every opportunity that to keep yourself safe. And, that, and that's from wearing your seatbelt all the way to making sure that your gear is clean. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, we work in a very, can be violent or dangerous. I mean, fires are dangerous, obviously, mm -hmm. but, you know, uh, traveling to and from just driving down the streets, dangerous. <laughs> right. So um, it's an endless opportunity to protect yourself and those around you with situational awareness and, you know, following policies and procedures and good communication and all those things come together to make one's, someone safe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the days of, you know, firefighters just freelancing and just doing whatever they want hopefully are long gone yeah because years ago before uh, some changes in the 70s with incident command truck would show up hey let's go do what's fun and there wasn't a lot of communication and things <laughs> like that but we've come a long way from that those times to you know f follow the direction of the commander and keep an eye on each other and take care of one another and uh, typically things will work out in, mm. in a positive manner yeah <clears throat> Yeah, back then, back in the 70s, that had to have been scary, you know, if, it, if they're requesting another truck. But you get there and you don't know what the first truck's really doing, where they're at, and who's got command and control over yep. the thing. No, it's, it's come a long ways. We're way past <laughs> that. But, uh, 
but yeah, there's just, you know, endless opportunities to watch out for yourself and look out for others. And, right. and, you know, good firefighters do that for the most part. Now, now what about the, the young person coming out of high school? What, what's, what's a good recommendation for what do they need to, to do to, to get their foot in the door? You know, is it, is it good to try to be a cadet and go, you know, take some of the fire sciences, get your EMT, that type of stuff? Oh, yeah. So there's, there's lots of opportunities in the Valley, in the Phoenix area, as far as cadet programs. Tempe has one. Glendale has one. They're all over the place. Those are good opportunities to see if this is something you even really want to do. Mm -hmm. And most of the cadet programs offer maybe time in the station, time on a fire truck, maybe go on some EMS calls and some fire calls and things like that. But yes, I would agree. Uh, you have to have your EMT to, to even apply. Hmm. You have to, typically, you have to be 18 years of age with your EMT. But those fire science classes are good too, just again, to see what this career is really about. Right. Because from an outsider, it's hard to tell. You know, I didn't know I wanted to go into this industry until I was about 28. And um, walked into a fire station and went, I got to do this. This is, this, is, <laughs> this is what I was born to do. And uh, you know, I don't know how many people I've told that it doesn't feel like work. Right. Even on the hardest day, it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. And I've never dreaded going to work. I was, always look forward to going to work. If I was off for an extended period of time for vacation or something, my wife would say, you're getting antsy to go back to work, aren't you? <laughs> I'm like, no, not, I'm not yeah. getting antsy at all. I love staying home. But no, I, again, it's, it's a career that, uh, for me, it's never felt like work. And I just love doing it. And even, even the office side of it that I'm doing now, I love it. Whatever I can do to support our guys and gals, right. make it safer for them, make them enjoy their job more, you know, help them with their mental wellness or their physical well-being as far as cancer protection. It's just, um, I don't know, it's, it's, I can't even explain how much I like it. Yeah, and, and that's the way I felt too. It was, I always looked forward to going to work. You know, of course, they paid me to ride a motorcycle for <laughs> most of my career. So that was always fun. But yeah, I mean, just... You never knew what the day was going to bring. Uh, every day is different. Some calls may be similar, but no calls exactly yeah. no, the same. You, you, know, you just never know. Right. Yeah. And we'd get, you know, people that would come, visitors, or, hey, go on a ride along. And they're like, I, I hope we get something good. And I'm like, be careful what you ask <laughs> exactly. for. You know what that's going to be. Yeah. Right. Your definition, your definition of good might not be the same as ours, right? <laughs> no. Yeah, it's kind of hard to... I. I like, I mean, I've been around, you know, the fire guys my whole career, uh, been to structure fires, been to car fires, you name it. I've seen all that stuff, but doing your job was never what I thought I wanted to do. I, I, I was fine carrying the gun and dealing with people that, you know, didn't want to deal with me. Um, but running into a burning building, I just didn't see the the fun side of that i don't know uh you've never been i've never been more excited though <laughs> anyway. oh i bet your and, adrenaline's got to be just going through the well and, and as a you know a former athlete it's, there's a very competitive nature right to want to go there and be super successful to save at least their property right i mean we may not save the structure the couches or the tv and that kind of thing but we're going to save their wedding album and their mm -hmm. uh, pictures on the wall and things that they can't replace right because most people you can you can buy another couch but exactly. you can't buy that wedding album that they yeah. didn't back up on a, a computer or something right. like that so we've had calls where we saved a, a home office 
I've had calls where the guy had like 30 antique guitars and all we did was save his guitars. And he's like, thank you. This yeah. I could care less about the house. Exactly. And thank you for saving my home office. That was my whole life in that one room. And we got to save that for the, for that person yeah. or that family. And it's pretty rewarding when, when you can, when you can make that kind of a difference. Um, and pets and dogs and cats right. and all those kinds of things that, I mean, we've, we've had calls and, we brought out snakes and fish and everything else. <laughs> I think I'd leave the snake. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we had a large python one time. I had a burn injury, so we put some burn cream on it. Wow. And, yeah. So just whatever you can do to, you know, for the public, I mean, they'll never forget that. Right. If you can do something. And, and so as a competitive person, hey, we're going to get there. We're going to be effective. We're going to be quick. Right. We're going to work smart. Um we're going to train, so when we get there, we're all we're all running eight cylinders, and boom, we're going to get in there and, and search this house to make sure it's uh, clear of people and pets, hopefully, and then put the fire out and save their stuff. So yeah. it's it's, uh, it's got to be very rewarding. You know, you go to a house fire that's you know getting pretty bad, and you guys can get in there and you can get somebody out. I mean, that's that's got to be just kind of hard to explain the feeling of of what that means well know? we train and train and train on that on that scenario yeah. and so um most of us myself included i mean you're so focused on the task at hand and and the and the benchmarks of safety and uh, what we can actually get done in a short amount mm -hmm. of time that when that when all that comes together it's so rewarding i can't even explain it right yeah I, I don't think you could really put words to that. no no so as a again as a former athlete uh some of us have this like where you don't hear the crowd and all that kind of stuff. I'm that, <laughs> right. guy, I'm that guy. Yeah. And so I'm pretty focused when it comes to, hey, we're going to do the safe quick. We're going to be effective. Right. And we're going to get this situation under control, solve this problem for this for this public. And again, save as much of their merchandise and there's things that are valuable to them. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, seeing young guys, young officers, you know, we get dispatched to a call. Um, you know, it could be, Somebody, you know, some type of medical emergency or somebody's bleeding, cut themselves real bad or something. And they're racing to the call, trying to beat fire or even passing fire. I'm thinking, and I always thought was, why am I going to pass fire? They're the guys that have the medical knowledge, not me. <laughs> Let's let them, I'll, I'll be right behind them. But <laughs> Well, the joke is that, you know, if a cop, if a police officer does pass us, they're going to park right where we need to park. Anyways. Exactly. They're going to yeah. be in the way. Yeah. So. At least I was on a motorcycle. You could get around me pretty easy. <laughs> I uh, several times got on the uh, police radio channel said, can you move the cop car, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, or you guys run the hose underneath the car to keep it there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember I, I was a little upset with Tempe fire on two occasions that were a week apart. I, I went to a fatal uh, collision where a pedestrian got hit and run over by the car and he was trapped uh, underneath the car. So whenever you guys are dealing with a car, you guys charge a line, right? I mean, it makes yeah. sense. Safety, safety, right. Safety you, method. You yeah. never know what's going to happen. And so then they, you guys were able to uh, get the guy out from underneath the car and he's, um, he gets transported to the hospital, but he dies there. Well, now you guys are there with the charged line. What do you do? You got to empty it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I went to this one call and, and the guys up, the fire guys out there just spraying down the road. And I'm thinking, that's all my evidence you're, you're spraying, you know? And I was, so I talked to the captain. I'm like, look, 
I understand you got to get rid of the water, but don't wash down my scene, you know? <laughs> and, and so we had a discussion and I thought, okay, we're good. And then the next week I had a same call and I was like, how can this happen? Of course, it, now the first time it was Tempe fire, the second time it was Guadalupe fire. So I, I couldn't be, you know, <laughs> different guys, right? two different departments. I understand. But yeah, I was like, all that evidence, I, mm, I guess I'm just going to, you know, Kentucky windage, okay. you know. Well, even on a, a house or something like that, we do have investigators that are going to come and investigate how this thing started. Right. So a lot of times we'll put the fire out and say, okay, it's out. Let's just leave everything alone for a bit. Let the investigator come take a look because we've done the same thing where we went in there and pulled every bit of ceiling and, and dropped drywall on top of everything. Right. And now they can't even see what was right. what was there. And you know, or we'll go and flip, flick all the breakers. Well, those, there's, there's clues in those breakers. If one of them tripped, could have been a short of uh, something uh, outlet or something like that. So we have to control ourselves sometimes (laughs) not to do too much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a big joke, you know, in the, in the police station that fire is evidence eradicators. And I'm sure you've probably heard that before. But, yes, I have. But we, you guys make our job much easier the majority of the time, that's for sure. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I just, I remember a call thinking of fire, hoping that they would get here. I, was, I, I got called to a, a situation where um, this guy calls in and says, my son, who's an adult, is at my doorstep and he's bleeding and that was basically all the information we had so i knew fire was coming so and this was a long time ago it was when i was still in patrol so it was late 90s um and i i get there um and i'm as i walk up i see this adult male laying you know on his chest at the doorstep and so i go up and i start talking to him and and I see a little bit of blood on him, but I'm not seeing much, you know. And I'm so I'm talking to him. I ask him, where are you cut at? And he says, on my neck. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and he's kind of looking back at me. Um, so his, his head is kind of tilted back. The crook of his neck is a little pinched off. And so, I'm, But I'm not seeing anything. And so I said, well, who did this to you? How'd you get cut? And he said, I did it. And I said, well, I don't see an injury. Where's that? And so he looked away from me and then blood just started. I mean, it was crazy. And I'm like, hey, look back at me again. Just just stay right like that. You know, and then fire was was coming up right then. I'm like, yeah, I, he's got a bad cut. Well, then I, after, after you guys took control of the guy and started, you know, treating him, then I started following the blood trail back to the garage. Okay. And he had taken a... a grinder with one of those four inch discs and he was trying to commit suicide when i walked in the garage i was like i thought it was a homicide scene in there there was so much blood i was like i couldn't imagine how that guy was still alive but man i was thankful for fire showing up then because i was like i don't know what i could have done for that poor guy wow he's he's lucky yeah he he was very lucky very lucky didn't bleed out if the guard hadn't have been on the the grinder then he would have died right there in the garage but yeah, it was, it was, you know, pretty crazy. But, you know, I, I was always like, if, if there's a medical situation, let's get fire here. You know, you guys have that expertise, not me. Yeah, no, we, we see everything and oh, yeah. you know, things that you can't even imagine. And, and again, we're there to make a difference and, you know, solve that problem, whatever it happens to be. If they're having chest pain or they've got a right. massive cut on their neck, we're going to do what we can do <laughs> to, get them, to get them where they need to go. 
Yeah, I've uh, I've seen some crazy stuff over my career. I'm sure you you've got some stories that just yeah. lots of them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's but then it's kind of funny when you know you you are say you're at a party or something and you somebody finds out what you do and they want to ask you you know like what's the craziest thing you've seen and it's kind of hard to it's like how do I filter this right. so that I don't freak this person out because they have no concept of what we really see. No, it's interesting as you say that because someone will ask me that and I'll just draw a blank. Right. But if, but if we're having a conversation, then something will pop in and I'm like, yeah. hey, at one time this thing happened. <laughs> it's kind of strange. Right. You know. Um, yeah, that's then, the worst question to get. Is, yeah. What's the craziest call you've ever been on? No, and, yeah. Um, I can't think of anything. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, do you want to hear something horrible? Right. Something that was goofy? Funny, scary. Yeah. That's yeah, for sure. You, you kind of have it all. No, I, I remember early in my career, I thought I'd remember like every call I'd ever gone on. Right. And that, I can't remember what I did yesterday. That and, you know, there was, hey, you should write down some of these things. And I'm like, uh, I don't know if I want to relive those or Yeah. Well, the nice, thing, the, the nice thing about those is if you write down those calls that are, especially the traumatic ones, if you write down what you saw, what you experienced and, you know, how it affected you. If you don't reread that, you're not going to pick it back up and relive it again. Right. So it can be very healing. In fact, here at Under the Shield, we talk about doing that, uh, writing letters mm -hmm. uh, to certain people, certain calls. Um, it can be very therapeutic about doing that. In fact, um, earlier we were talking about Cindy uh, Schooner, who wrote a Sister in the Brotherhood book, and she was a podcast guest. And she said that early in her career, she started doing that. When she'd get back to the firehouse, she would just write down about the calls and she didn't realize how how much it was helping her you know until much later in her career um and she said it was just it was just something for me to kind of let me process those calls in my head and then i didn't have to really worry about them and she said she wasn't haunted by nearly uh, as many of the calls that you know she probably would have been sure. later in her no, and we talked about this earlier that you know, we can train a, a young officer or a firefighter, prepare them for a, a, a fire or something stressful. Hey, we're going to go practice, practice, practice. But there's no way to prepare someone for to see something that's horrible right. or sad or, or you know, just tragic, you know, because pretty much every car wreck that has a fatality is a tragedy. Right. You know, it's uh, the people are perfectly healthy a minute ago now they're not right and someone ran a red light or it's a drunk driver or whatever and so we can't practice that and so we kind of play defense again mm -hmm. once that's happened what are we going to do we just again provide the resources and, right and talk things through and and not let that person just isolate and I yeah mean, i you know and i was i was old school too um you know brought up in that day where you don't talk about things you just you, you move on, you file it away in the filing cabinet and hope it never jumps out of the cabinet at you. You know, you just press on. But, uh, and I know in, in the per, uh, police career field, there that's changing too. You know, there's a lot more open dialogue about calls and how things are affecting you. And, you know, the, the resources are much better than what they were when we first started. Yeah, no, I think the, one, the resources are better, but two, the, younger generation i say younger i don't know the 40s and youngers which is the majority of our uh, our business or at least our in tempe 
uh, they're willing to talk about getting help and openly talk about it, mm -hmm. where someone hears that and says, hey, you know what, I think I might want to participate in some of that as myself because I've got some some demons or something that's bothering right. them or call that, that they went on. So that's the part, I think, that's making a difference, the wellness piece, you know, us providing as much um, messaging and things like that, but the word of mouth and the younger person talking about things openly. So. Right. So now when you when you first started and you were in the academy, um, I know for me, when I was in the academy, they taught us, they basically said, keep your professional and your personal life separate. Is that kind of how it was for you too? You know, not so much because uh, it seems like there was a barbecue every weekend somewhere. <laughs> and then you show up with all these people that you work with and you're all talking about these, right. all these calls that you went on and your family's there with you. Um, so it's hard to keep them separate because it, it's so much, it's a part of your being. It's a right. part of what you, it's your it, lifestyle. It's everything. Yeah. yeah. And that's the same. Now they used, I mean, they specifically told us we, you know, you need to try to keep your professional life and your, your home life separate which don't talk to your family about what you're seeing and doing right. at, at work, which is just crazy. It makes no sense. You know what I mean? No, then all those emotions are bottled up. Exactly. And, and, and frustration. And you and... can't say, you know, I, I laugh when people say, well, I, I handle my, my job stuff, what I see just fine. And I say, okay, so you don't bring that home with you. Nope, I don't. All right. So how about this? Um, before work, you get into a fight with your wife or your spouse or whoever, um, when you get to work, how long is it before your coworkers realize what happened? You bring that to work. So how can you say that you won't take those, that, that trauma home with you from the job? Yeah. You know, you can't, and, you, it, yeah. it's impossible. Yeah. And that's where people usually go, oh, okay. I understand that now, which, you know, a lot of people just don't think about. They think, oh, I'm fine. I push that down. I'll go home, sit in the chair and have a drink and I'm fine. You know? Yeah. But especially as a police officer with uh, someone broke the law or there's a, I don't know, a shooting or something like there's evidence and things like that, right. that, that maybe obviously you can't talk about. It should be, be similar to us fire guys talking about using names. Hey, we ran on so-and-so right. from, I went to high school with this person and they had overdosed on opioids or right. something like that. Yeah. That's, there's, there's HIPAA stuff and there's right. evidence and things like that too right. that. We have to be careful. Right. And and same here. There's there's some things that we should and shouldn't talk about, but how how we feel based on this incident that we were just on, I think that's fair game. We need to talk oh, about yes, that I stuff. Get that right. out in the open and deal with it so mm -hmm. that it doesn't come back and haunt us. Yep, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I thank you for coming today. Um, it was uh, interesting talking to you, especially you being at Tempe for four and a half years. And, you know, I, I, I know a lot of the guys that you are still working with. Um, and it, it's nice to know that Tempe is being consistent and trying to take care of their, their family. Well, thank you. It's certainly been my pleasure today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Again, I, you know, I'm so blessed to have worked in the West Valley for a long time and then finishing my career in Tempe. I'm super thrilled to work for the city and agency that I work for. Tempe Fire is fantastic. And uh, today's been my pleasure, so thank you. Well, if you're listening out there today, um, I, I can't impress upon you enough that 
if you're in the fire career field or the police career field or military um, or or family uh, to any of those, if if you're seeing changes in your significant other, your spouse, or you yourself, you're feeling different or you're having a hard time processing a call, reach out to somebody. You know, you can reach out to us here under the shield 24-7. We're totally anonymous. We're not going to talk to anybody about anything that we've talked about. They're not even going to know um, that we talked. Um, that's up to you to tell anybody that you want to know. Um, but, it, you know, maybe... It may feel tough and hard to reach out, but there's people here, um, there's people out there that can help you process these these feelings, these emotions, um, and work through them so that it doesn't get to the point where now you can't perform your job and you you know, and the worst thing happens, you you end up losing your livelihood. We don't things don't have to get there. Um, we just need to reach out to somebody, and that's that's sometimes hard. That first step is hard to do. That that phone may feel like a thousand pounds when you're picking it up to make a call, but uh, there is somebody out there to 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 help you out. Uh, you can call us here under the shield on our hotline number, which is eight five five eight eight nine two three four eight. If you call us um, and you hit extension one, you will get a stress coach um, that'll answer. Just stay on the line because it'll roll through until the next stress coach is available um, or who the first stress coach is that's available. So just be patient, stay on the line, you'll get somebody. Uh, one thing to know is that if you hit that extension one for somebody, um, the number that we get is the 855 number. We don't have your phone number. Uh, we're, that's how anonymous that we want to be for you. Um, so if you if we get you get a hold of somebody and you're talking to us, you get disconnected, then you're going to have to call us back uh, unless you once we start talking and you give us a phone number. But we don't have that availability. Um, you can hit um, extension two. You'll get Susan Simmons. Uh, if you hit extension three, you'll get David Cohen, who's down in uh, running our Alabama team. And if you hit extension four, you'll it'll come directly to me. Um, so you will get somebody, just stay on the line. Um, and families, uh, we can't thank you enough for what you do. Um, you are our first line of defense. You're going to see um, any of the subtle changes of, of things that are happening to uh, your loved ones. And you can also call us, reach out to us anytime, 24-7. Um, if you uh, want to speak directly with me, you can uh, call me uh, on my cell phone number, which is 480 480- 861-6574. Um, I just, uh, last thing is, um, God bless you for what you're doing um, and serving the community and giving of your time uh, and talents. We, we can't thank you enough. Families, same for you. Uh, we're here for you. Uh, give us a call anytime. Thank you.